Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about how repair attempts can strengthen your relationships and an unusual way to use a Sharpie. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who was recently in Kansas City, our hometown. Elizabeth, Eliza, Eleanor, and I are going to Kansas City soon. And so I'm sorry we didn't overlap, but it was fun to see the pictures from Kansas City. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretchen, we missed you all, especially when we went to Winstead <laughs> yeah. and had a skyscraper, their giant Sunday. Um, we thought oh, it would be fun if, if everybody was here eating this with us. So, you know, we'll all be there for Christmas well, together. Yes. So that'll be great. Yeah. And Elizabeth, I'm very excited because tomorrow, if I'm if I'm correct, that is the episode of Happier in Hollywood where I got to make a cameo appearance. Yes, Gretchen, we call you to help us uh, answer a listener question that involves <laughs> your favorite subject, the four tendencies. Yes. So everybody tune in to Happier in Hollywood, uh, all new episode tomorrow. It's episode 11 is the one that Gretchen is on to uh, hear what she has to say. Because I don't talk to you enough, Gretch. I know. <laughs> yes. And not about the four tendencies. I have to talk to you on my other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, before we jump into the Try This at Home, we got a really lovely update from a listener who had tried our Try This at Home from episode 124, which was the Try This at Home to Remember Love. Uh, this is from Josie. Yes. She says... I really appreciated your Try This at Home of Remember Love from episode 124. I immediately thought of a relevant way to apply this to my own life. Both sets of in-laws, my husband's parents are divorced, so I have two sets, often mention how seldom they see us and how they want to see us and our one-year-old daughter more often. In the past, I have become annoyed at these comments, seeing them as guilt-tripping and manipulative, and I have even had thoughts of seeing them less so they would really know what it is like to see us seldom. Pretty petty, huh? <laughs> I have decided to reframe these comments. The in-laws just want to see us, enjoy their first grandchild, and tell us they love us. I want to be grateful they are involved and caring instead of distant and apathetic. Next time they make a comment, I will remember love and respond warmly. So that's so sweet. That's so nice. And I thought it was such a great example of, Elizabeth, of your point about reframing. You're not changing mm. the way people are acting, which you can't do, but you're changing the way you view the way they're acting. And in that way, you change your experience. And so I thought this was like a perfect example of how Remember Love can kind of release us from being annoyed or feeling nagged or feeling resentful of people. So I just, I love that example. I love it too. And I think a lot of people probably feel the same way about like parents or yep. in-laws. So um, I think everyone would do well to remember love. <laughs> you know, and I said, I need a t-shirt that says, remember love. And somebody sent me a link. There is a t-shirt that you, I don't know who makes it or why, but it just says, remember love. <laughs> so you can get a remember love t-shirt. Oh, want. nice. So this week, Elizabeth, our try this at home tip is to make or accept a repair attempt. And I assume we're not talking about, you know, repairing the plumbing here. This is something <laughs> emotional. Yes. Yes, this has to do with relationships. And it comes from John Gottman. So John Gottman is a relationship expert who writes a lot about making marriages and other relationships stronger. And 
he uh, talks about this in his book called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. But it's really true, I think, for dealing with children, friends, any kind of sweetheart, any kind of relationship. I think his point about repair attempt is useful. And what he defines as a repair attempt is when someone makes any statement or action that prevents negativity from escalating out of control. And he points out that repair attempts are the secret weapon of emotionally intelligent couples. Mm. So repair attempt is when things are going bad, is the person trying to say, no, let's, let's throw in a repair attempt and try to get things to go in a different direction. As opposed to just spiraling downward and, <laughs> and, and making the conversation worse and worse. Yes, exactly. And his point is that whether a couple has successful and effective repair attempts is one of the main factors in whether the relationships work. Now, And I tried this myself um, when I was writing The Happiness Project. For the month of February, I worked on marriage, mm. um, which I actually called Remember Love. That was the title of that oh. chapter. So Remember Love is the phrase a phrase that echoes through my mind. Um, And I wrote about my resolution to fight right. It's not to not fight, Mm. but to fight right. And John Gottman's point is that the fighting style is very important and that how people fight as a couple, how they fight is more important than how much they fight. So fighting style really, really matters. Yeah. I mean, obviously in relationships, some things you can't forgive. You know, someone's making a repair attempt for something, you know, they've done that really shouldn't be forgiven. This doesn't apply. Yes. But for most of life's petty squabbles or not even petty, but like real disagreements, (laughs) you know, people have real honest disagreements. This idea of accepting a repair attempt applies. Right, right. So the question is, okay, how do you make a repair attempt if you want to make one? Or how do you recognize one so that you can accept one? um, And so then you can move on. So some of the successful repair attempts are things like saying something silly or making a silly face or generally using humor. Like I've been watching the TV show Catastrophe a lot. Oh, I love that show. And one of the things is that couple really, they really fight. They really fight and they say really mean things, but they make each other laugh. They're constantly kind of cracking up in the middle of a fight and then they can't stay mad at each other. And they'll even say, like, I want to stay mad, but I can't. And so for them, you can see this is a couple where the crucial repair attempt is the offering of humor and the accepting of humor. Somebody's making a joke and somebody is allowing themselves to laugh. They're not saying, I'm not going to let you break the tension with a joke. They're accepting that repair attempt. They're laughing. And then the tension just breaks in this otherwise very tense moment. I want to try this because I feel like I do try to make repair attempts, but I don't think I ever use humor to do it. And I think that's really smart. I think it's advanced. And I'm going to tell Adam to do that because he's really funny. (laughs) I think it's an advanced strategy because when you're angry, at least for me, my sense of humor is the first thing to go. But you're right. If you can get it to work, or even just being silly. I don't think you even need to be witty. It may be even just like making a silly face or doing something kind of slapstick, I think, just to break the tension. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then another kind, sort of a different kind of repair attempt is making a caring remark, like showing your empathy, like saying, like, I know this is really tough mm. for you. Or, you know, I know you've been under a lot of pressure lately to sort of acknowledge that, OK, I really care about you. I really care about your experience, even though we're in the middle of this tense moment. I want to show you that I recognize your side of things. Yeah, that's one I do a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then you also want to emphasize you're a team. So it's like, this is our problem. It's like, we're in this together. Yeah. Which is big, obviously, if you're a couple. 
Yeah, because I think for sometimes people, they feel like nobody else cares. I'm the only one who was dealing with this. This is a big concern for me. You're not paying any attention to it. And then you feel very isolated and resentful. And if somebody's like, this is our problem, that makes you feel like, okay, somebody's on my side. Somebody's got my back. We're a team. And that is very reassuring. Mm -hmm. One thing I do, I have to undo a bad behavior. I do undo it, but I I do the bad behavior that I undo it is um, I will back down if Jamie defends himself. Like I will say something Mm. accusatory and then he will say something to defend himself. And then, but then I usually do say, you're right. Or I'm like, you never answer my emails, which he never does answer my emails. And it makes me crazy. He'll say something like, but you asked me to do blah, blah, blah. And I did it right away. And then I'm like, you're right. You did do it right away. So I will back down in the face of when he expresses his view. I do acknowledge it and back down. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me. So I do feel like I get a gold star for that. (laughs) I like to just just, um, (laughs) accuse everybody of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then another um, important way to that I think will help one both make and accept repair attempts is to find ways to calm yourself down. Yeah. Gretch, I know you get worked up, so you have to do this. <laughs> yes, I do. I get very, very worked up very fast. And one thing that I have found really works too is physical touch. Mm. It's very hard to argue or like be nasty if you're like holding someone's hand or you have your hand on their back or something. So that's one way that I can kind of calm myself down is by just trying to establish some kind of physical connection. Yeah. And calming yourself down is good because like I know that I tend to get into the worst fights when I'm really stressed about something else. Yeah. And so if I would just calm myself down and think about it for a second, I might then do a repair attempt. But see, this is the thing though, I think is so hard about repair attempts, about making repair attempts is that in the heat of the moment, people say count to 10. And I'm always like, if I had the, the, the presence of mind to count to 10, then I would not be in this pickle mm. because it's not being able to step back. It's not being able to see the opportunity that I think is really challenging. So the more that you can kind of give yourself tools or a menu of things to do, I think that's really helpful because then in the heat of the moment, you sort of think, wait, maybe I could just take this person's hand or, hey, maybe I could just Mm -hmm. make a silly face. But it's hard sometimes to have that mindfulness. Yeah. You know, what's amazing to me, Gretchen, um, is I think I am very responsive to repair attempts. Like Mm. if Adam and I have a fight, it doesn't matter how mad I am. I mean, I could just be blazing mad even afterward. I'm talking not even during the argument where you resolve it on the spot, but one where you sort of have a fight and then someone storms out. Yeah. If he makes a repair attempt, like he just says, I love you, I don't want to fight, my anger just immediately dissolves. It's like it never existed. It really doesn't even matter what we're fighting about. So I guess... I am someone for whom repair attempts are very effective. Well, see, I think that's great. I think that would be a great trait to have in a spouse that you're very responsive to that. Because I feel like when you're very angry at somebody, it's very tempting to reject a repair attempt. Mm. That even when your spouse is saying, I'm sorry, or I love you and I don't want to fight, or I'm going to make a joke, or I'm going to try to say, why don't we take a break and come back in 20 minutes when we've calmed down? It feels good to be punishing and rejecting Mm. and to be like, I'm not going to let you jolly me out of this. I'm not going to let you shift the mood or break the tension. I want to like hammer it home. And in that anger, it feels good to do that. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, and I mean, I say this from personal experience, but the problem is, and this is why I really try not to do that, is that if you reject someone's repair attempts, 
they will probably stop making them. Oh, you know what I mean? Yes. Because Adam knows that if he makes a repair attempt, your anger will re- dissolve. That tells him, I should make repair attempts because that's going to work. If you constantly reject them, then maybe the person just won't respond. And then they're going to start stonewalling you or ignoring you or just escalating. And so I think just as it's important to figure out how to make a repair attempt, if someone's making a repair attempt to you, you want to recognize it and respond because, Mm -hmm. you know, like if Jamie's making some kind of joke, I want to allow that to work and to break the tension. That's part of fighting right is hearing the repair attempt. And I think probably for some people that's harder than others. Like for you, that's not hard to do. For me, that can be hard to do, I have to say. Yeah, I think it's hard for Adam. Like I feel like Adam has to repair on his own time. Oh, interesting. I don't feel like me making an attempt will necessarily impact him the way him making an attempt impacts me. Although he may disagree with that statement. I'll have to ask him. Oh, that's interesting. The thing about Jamie is Jamie doesn't really fight. I can't even really describe it. It's not like he ignores me, but it's just like he doesn't fight, which has good points and bad points. It can sometimes be incredibly frustrating. Um, He just sort of like shuts down fighting. Uh, Yeah, I I can't imagine Jamie, you know, going at it. He's very calm. But But one of the things is when you're like that, I will say this, when someone is like that and then they show a flash of anger, it's like I immediately back down. If it's at the point where he's actually going to be angry, I recognize that it's at 100 on the scale of 1 to 100. He's now at 100. He doesn't throw it around lightly. And so when he does look angry, I really do give repair attempts and try to be like, I'm acknowledging, I understand, I went too far, whatever. Um, it's interesting. They're, like the Fighting style is very interesting. It's not something you think about a lot in the early stages of a relationship, but then it ends up being very important. Yeah, It's like, how do you fight right? How do you have conflict and then get out of it? And I think just in terms of relationships, in terms of children, I think it's really valuable if you can show children that people can fight and disagree and be angry with each other, and then they can get out of it. And then you can show that, oh, everything, we still love each other. We can still get along. It's not like everybody's running around for three days in some kind of angry state we can get into it and get out of it we don't have to pretend like we're not angry but then we can resolve it so i I think this idea of the repair attempt i think is very helpful for that yeah i think there used to be this idea that people should never like disagree or argue in front of kids and obviously you don't want to be having huge brawls in front of your kids (laughs) but at the same time i agree with you i think it is healthy to see that people can have conflict and resolve conflict Let us know if you try this at home and how making or accepting a repair attempt works for you. Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or go to happiercast.com slash 127 for everything related to this episode. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. 
Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Listen, you have a happiness hack um, that's so simple and yet so helpful. This week. Yes. And what's this hack? I saw this on Facebook. It was something uh, my friend Julie posted. um, And I thought, oh, my God, this is life changing. (laughs) For people who have young children, um, if you go to a big public place like Disneyland, for instance, where I often go, write your phone number on your child's arm in a Sharpie and tell them if they get lost, show this phone number to usually you say to a mom or to a, you know, a clerk in a store, somebody safe and ask them to call your mom. And it's so simple. That's a great idea. I was like, this is the greatest idea. And have you done it yet? No, because I just saw this. (laughs) I haven't been in a public place since I saw this idea, but I immediately told Sarah. Yeah. And she said she has a friend who has twin boys um, and they do this. Yeah. Because Jack doesn't yet know my phone number. And even if he did know it, I would worry that if he got lost and scared, you know, he might get rattled and forget it. Yeah. So I just think this is such an easy idea. And then it just takes a little pressure off. Yes. Right. I remember kind of along the same lines, I was helping a friend clear clutter in her house, which is my favorite thing to do. And she had this hideous T-shirt. I mean, this bright fluorescent orange. It was the ugliest thing I had ever seen. And was practically like glowing in the dark. And I said, okay, well, the first thing you have to get rid of is that t-shirt. And she said, no, because she has three sons. And she said, this is, we all have matching shirts. And when we go to a big public place or like we're running around someplace like Central Park, we all wear our shirts so that it's easy to pick each other out of a crowd or from a distance. And so again, I think you're right. This is something so simple, but it just takes some of the anxiety away because, you know, if they totally get lost, They'll be able to call me if they're like get separated from me in the crowd. I'll be able to see them. And then you just can enjoy yourself more because you're not clutching that child's hand with an iron grip the whole time. Yes. For fear that they are going to slip away. So, yes. And I love a Sharpie. I love Sharpies. I always want an excuse to buy Sharpies. <laughs> so this is great. I have like now. Yeah. Eliza, she goes off to college. I'll be like, uh, let me just write this on your arm. Yeah, exactly. First day. <laughs> All right. So that's two for one happiness hack. We have the phone number on the arm and the fluorescent shirt. There you go. And now it's time for a know yourself better. So Alyssa, this is kind of a fun know yourself better, which is if you have a difficult task ahead of you, do you like to get it out of the way early? Mm. You want to cross it off the list first, or do you like to work up to it? Mm. Start with the easier things and work your way to the harder things. Mm. And we need a clever, like there should be a, like a clever way. Are you a this or are you a that? But you and I couldn't think of anything. So if listeners, if you have any like clever nomenclature for this, we, we desperately need it. So it's like, are you a this or are you a that? Or like, do you like to blah or do you like to blah? Yeah. If it's like something like, are you a doer or a putter offer just doesn't cut it. Yeah. Yeah. We need something a little more. Need something better. Yeah. Something a little bit more. And if it rhymes, that's the fluency heuristic. It's even, you get, you get extra gold stars if you come up with something that rhymes. Uh, but so, but Elizabeth, no matter what we call it, what are you? Do you like to get the hard thing out of the way earlier or do you like to work up to it with like smaller things? The climbing the ladder of accomplishment. Uh, for the most part, I like to get difficult things done first. 
Yeah. I am someone who it just weighs on my mind if I have something hard to do. Yeah. And I just want to get it done as quickly as possible. So one area I would say this applies is packing. Yeah. It's like if I have, you know, and I know in the next five hours I have to pack, Mm -hmm. I want to do it immediately and just get it done. I hate the idea that it's hanging over my head. Right, right. You want to clear it off so that then you can have true relaxation and leisure or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. And here's one way where I combine this, doing things early with scheduling time to worry, Mm. is every once in a while I'll have like something that I really, really don't want to do. Like I need to edit a document that's really tricky or I need to write a difficult email or something like that. Mm-hmm. Rather than having it weigh on my mind all day long and kind of get into this, should I do it now? Should I do it later? Am I procrastinating? Whatever. Right. Because I'm a morning person. I'm, I'm definitely at my best intellectually first thing in the morning. I will say to myself, I'm not going to worry about this now. I'm going to do it first thing in the morning. So then I don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. It's off my mind because I know I'm going to do it. And then I do it right away. So it starts my day with that feeling of like, oh, I crossed off this really burdensome task and it's over. So it feels like a relief, but it also gets done at the time when it's easiest for me to do it. And I don't worry about it until it's kind of ripe for doing it. So that for me works really well. Yeah. And it does apply to things, not just that are necessarily difficult, like, you know, writing a tricky email, but also unpleasant. Like for instance, getting a mammogram. Yeah. If I have to get a mammogram, which is just, you know, unpleasant, it's not hard. Yeah. I like to do it at like 8 a.m. and then it's done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with a know yourself better, one of the things that's helpful about these questions is you think like, well, I'm a certain way, but that doesn't mean that everybody's the same way and people might be different from me. And maybe that explains kind of certain kinds of conflicts that arrive or certain kind of like things where people puzzle me or frustrate me. And what I'm reminded of is like when you have the big family dinner and everybody's done and then some people have this urge to jump up and clear the plates Mm. and some people are like, don't do that. Let's stay and like linger. And it's always kind of a conflict. And both people feel like they're right because the people who are lingering are like, why can't we have like a long leisurely dinner and, and enjoy ourselves and our company? And the other people are like, well, we'll enjoy ourselves more when we get all this stuff into the kitchen. And again, it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that people have different attitudes towards a task like that. So when you think, well, we just have sort of different inclinations, how do we how do we manage that instead of feeling like you're ruining my fun? Yes. I mean, for sure, Adam and I are different in this category. Oh, how? Well, I mean, I think he's more someone who likes to not do the difficult task first. Mm. I mean, again, take packing. For years in our marriage, I would say, do you want to pack now? Don't you want to pack now? Like, oh, you started packing? (laughs) And then finally, after about nine years, I realized, oh, he is never going to pack now. He's always going to pack later. So I need to just quit asking. And now, even though I might be totally packed, he doesn't even have his suitcase out. I just attempt not to mention it. Well, this is shield yourself from worry. Yes. Right. Which is you're not going to worry about his packing because that's his problem. So you don't have to worry about his packing. Exactly. Right. And the thing is, you're worried about it because you feel like he'd be more relaxed if he went ahead and packed. But in fact, he's different from you. He likes to do it later. So yeah, it's all coming together. Now, there is um, an area at work where I'm the opposite. Mm, How so? And this is like, for instance, when Sarah and I are doing notes on a script. So we've gotten notes and now we have to rewrite the script. 
usually will do all the easy notes first and then go back and do the more difficult notes. Mm. Now, in that case, I think it's because doing the easy notes kind of gets us in the mindset of our task and, you know, sort of just refreshes the whole thing and makes us feel like, oh, we've accomplished this. We've accomplished that. We crossed this one off the list. Yeah. And now we can really hunker down and dive into the hard part. So I think there are times when it is, for me, more effective to do the difficult thing last. So this isn't all across the board. It, it depends on the situation. A hundred percent. And in fact, I'm exactly the same way when I get edits from like from an editor. I'll do, go through and do everything easy first. Um, so you're right. Probably all of us are a mix of these things. Um, but maybe it's a good thing to think about in a particular situation. Like maybe I maybe if I tried it a different way. I might have a better experience because I, I'm responding in one way, but I could think about it in this other way. Instead of I could work up to it if I if it's really hard for me to start with the hard things or maybe vice versa. Because I do think tasks are much easier when we structure them in the way that works for us. Mm-hmm. But what happens a lot of times is that people try to get us to work in the way that works for them. Right. And so it's unnecessarily difficult because you're somehow going against your grain or maybe you don't even recognize exactly what your grain is. So I think by calling attention to these patterns, a lot of times we can see how we might set things up in a way that would just make the same activities or uh, tasks easier because it just feels like an easier system to deal with. Because it's suited to you personally. Because it's suited to you personally and in the situation. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, Gretchen. Well, everyone, let us know if you come up with a a great name for this (laughs) um, Know Yourself Better question. Uh, Meantime, it is time for a listener question, Gretchen. But this week, we actually have something interesting. We have listener answers to our listener Nicole's question in episode 124, which was about how to handle the happiness stumbling block of sad anniversaries. Yes, we posed that listener question and asked for people's suggestions. And we got so many really thoughtful, uh, thought-provoking things that people did to try to handle a sad anniversary. And what many listeners talked about was turning to nature, to planting flowers or trees that would help to uh, memorialize a person. For instance, Susie had um, a great example. She said, I was engaged and set to be married in June, but in October, my fiance was killed in a tragic car accident. Each year, I plant a flowering tree on his birthday, which is in the spring. In the years to come, the tree blooms on his birthday in the spring, provides shade in the summer when we were to be married, and turns brilliant colors in the fall when we remember his death anniversary. It is my way of moving forward with him in my heart, not moving on like it never happened. So again, it's like the the power of nature, but to memorialize a person, but in a like a very positive, beautiful, ubiquitous way. Yeah. And similarly, um, after having a miscarriage on her own birthday, Alyssa planted a lilac bush. Um, it's a beautiful yeah. addition um, to her yard. But also she points out it took the emphasis off that day in particular as our lilac bush is with us year round. So I thought that was a really interesting point. Yeah. So that that one day isn't so sad because it's something that is part of the whole year, the whole experience. Now, Alyssa, one thing that you talk about a lot is reframing and how to think about things in a different way. And, and, and that just kind of changes your emotions. And Kimberly had an interesting point. She said, it occurred to me one day that time is not cyclical. It's stretched out in a straight line from point A to point B. So each day that passes is just one day further away from the date that it happened. This has really helped me change my perspective. Often now I don't remember until the date has passed that another year has come and gone. 
So somehow for her, reframing the passage of time so that it isn't like this anniversary is coming up over and over and over, she's saying, I'm moving forward. Mm. So I thought that was an interesting way just to see the whole idea of an anniversary in a different way. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting perspective on the nature of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Mandy in Montana makes a point about how people approach sad anniversaries in different ways. She says, I'm always amazed when your topics line up with events in my life. And here we have yet another. I have been stressing all week because tomorrow is the anniversary of what may very well have been the worst day in the life of my other half. Ten years ago, his brother was shot and killed. So not only is tomorrow the anniversary, but it now marks a decade that he has gone on without him. And she says that she and her husband have very different love languages. And she feels this reflects in how they deal with grief. She said, I need sentimental moments and actions to honor those gone, where Chris needs to be more distracted or less attached, it seems, like going to a movie or out to eat. We both know why we're there, but the reason is not a topic of conversation. She says, I know Chris feels the pain and grief, but he handles these anniversaries as he needs to so he can get through the day where I am the one who wears the pain on my sleeve for all to see, sometimes completely useless on grief anniversaries because I'm unable to focus as I replay the events for the same day years ago. So when grief anniversaries first came around, as I got to know him, I was a little turned off by what seemed like his lack of care. My advice to all is grief anniversaries come and go is don't measure love by how much pain you feel. And that applies to others around you too. Don't measure their love by the pain they show. Now see, I think this is a really, really important point, which is that again, like so many things, there's no right way or wrong way. And people may do things in a very different way from you. And it's mm-hmm. important to recognize that and not to think, well, if you're not acting in such and such way, you don't care. Or if you don't act in such and such way, that's not right. Or, you know, sometimes people say, like, you should be moving on or whatever it is. It's just to accept, like, people feel the way they feel. And just to try to think about it for yourself, how you can handle these things mindfully. Absolutely. And then Gretchen, several listeners had special names for a day of tribute to a person. One person calls it an angel versary, which is nice. Yeah. And Rachel's, um, her wedding anniversary and the anniversary of her husband's death were a day apart. And so what she did was start a family versary mm. on the day that would have been her wedding anniversary and the next day. And so they have a fun family outing on the family versary every year. They go to D- Disneyland, Catalina Island, a mall shopping spree. On the 10th anniversary, they did a um, trip to Belize to do volunteer work for a week and then to stay in a resort and do fun activities. And so it's really about, again, like reclaiming that time, memorializing that time, but in a way that puts it into a more positive context. Um, And then we heard from Kelly, who had lost her husband. Her friend Caitlin decided they should mark the day with Girlfriend's Day. Kelly said, Caitlin's rationale was that I would always want to celebrate my love for Justin, but calling it Girlfriend's Day would make it easier on any possible second Mr. Right to come into my life. I don't think she realized at the time that she was also giving me a positive spin on how to look forward to the day again. That first year, it was just the two of us. Other years, we have been joined by other girlfriends. I'm not sure the other girls are fully aware of the meaning behind Girlfriend's Day anymore, but that doesn't matter. What matters is I have found joy in the day again. 
So that's good. So that's a fr- so that's nice. that's a friend helping to to facilitate like managing sad anniversaries. That's like a really powerful thing for a friend to do to be like, I know this is going to be a sad day to you. How can I help you with that? I thought that was really thoughtful. Yeah. Must be said, not everyone agreed with our kind of the the main thrust of our suggestions about how to uh, scheduling time to grieve or to try and add happy memories to the day. And on my blog, Sarah had commented, I love your show, but I was struck by the conversation about sad anniversaries. Some of your suggestions felt very disconnected from my reality. For example, my father died in a very traumatic way, and I could never imagine scheduling grief. My best advice is just take the day of the anniversary off and let what happens happen and know that there isn't a happiness hack for everything. Well, that's sort of interesting because we're really arguing that you really want to mindfully shape your experience and that you really, you want to think about it in advance and sort of plan for it. And she's saying kind of like, well, let it flow over you and just like mm-hmm. what it will be will be. So that's her experience of the best way to handle it. So it was interesting to hear a very different kind of uh, perspective on that. Yes. Um, and it's also worth noting that um, this isn't just about anniversaries in the past, but dreaded days in the future. Yeah. Allison said, on September 19, 2016, I was diagnosed with cancer at age 26. I am six months into remission, yay, but yay. am dreading my diagnosis days coming up in the fall of this year. Now I'm looking forward to deciding what I will do on these days. The possibilities are almost endless. I vow now to do something fun and enjoyable for myself instead of spending the whole time feeling sad. So this is a really great idea where it's just saying like, I know something's coming up that I'm dreading. How can I change it? And, you know, it's the same. It's it's sort of the same Mm -hmm. thing prospectively. It's not that I'm remembering something sad from the past, but that I know that there's a date coming up that is full of dread. So how can I take some pressure off that time by putting some fun things around it? So I think the bottom line is, I think for a lot of people, at least for most people, maybe not for Sarah and some people, but for a lot of people, it helps to acknowledge that the day is coming and think about how to shape the experience in a way that is going to help you remember a person, serve that person's memory, but in a context that you're shaping more than just sort of letting it take over or having it take you unawares where you look down at the calendar and then you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Then my whole day is, is going to be preoccupied with these sad thoughts. So thank you, everyone, um, for your input. And obviously, a lot of people deal with this issue. So I think these are really helpful. Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars. And this week, you're up with a happiness demerit. Yes, and this is a demerit related to a file effect. I keep a file of facts. You should probably explain what a file of facts is. Some people may not even know, Gretchen. <laughs> yes, they're so ye olde, outdated technology. But anyway, a file of facts is like a planner. It's like a little notebook that's got like a nice cover, like mine is leather. And every year you take out your calendar and you put in a new calendar. Like my calendar is a page a day. So I have a paper page for the days of the week and the month. And then I write in my appointments and any kind of reminders in my calendar. For some people, it just does not work to keep your calendar on a phone. I just can't stand that. It does not work for me. So it's just like a physical calendar planner. Now, I love it because I keep all my back calendars. So I have them stretching back decades and I have them all nicely lined up. So I I love the file effects. But as you say, I have terrible handwriting. Elizabeth, you also have terrible handwriting. We both have terrible handwriting. Horrible. And I have to write pretty small because these are small boxes and I have a lot of things to fit in. And for some reason lately, I have just been so bad about writing very illegibly. And I will look at something and I'll be like, something's happening at 4 p.m. today, but 
I have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I see that something's written there, but it's illegible. And it makes me crazy because then I have to spend all this time, like, doing word searches through my emails or trying to do process of elimination or, or desperately searching my memory, which is not usually very productive, to try to figure out what was supposed to happen at 4 p.m. today. You know, I, I think I'm just going too fast or I'm distracted. Like somebody's telling me something. So I'm just making it out of my calendar thinking like, well, of course, I'll remember what it is. Right. It's so vivid in my mind right now. Yes. But it makes me crazy. But there's this kind of pen that mom got me a bunch of that writes very, very thin. Ah. And so I'm now trying to only use that pen because I can fit more in easily and it writes very precisely. I had been using like a wide felt tip, which is fun to write with, but it just took up so much more room because the letters would run together if I wrote too small. Yeah. So I have acknowledged the demerit. Small, but extremely annoying demerit. Yes. What's your gold star? Well, my gold star goes to your daughter, my niece, Eliza Rubin, soon to be a college freshman, um, because she did such a great interview um, on the podcast, The Other F Word, which is a podcast where they have conversations about failure um, and take the shame out of failure. Mm-hmm. And in episode 38, they interviewed Eliza mm-hmm. about, you know, being a teenager and, and coping with failure and what she's been through. And I just thought it was so interesting. And she was um, so eloquent on the topic um, and said a lot of things that I had never thought about um, Like she said that um, she finally realized failure isn't always the worst option, which I thought was a profound statement. So um, anyway, I would just tell our listeners to check out Eliza's interview. And I loved it. And I give her a big gold star uh, for doing it. Yeah. She's got her own podcast. Yes. I should have mentioned that. Eliza's starting at 16. But I think it was really interesting for her to like be on another podcast. So yeah, I thought she did a great job too. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Make or accept a repair attempt. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best. And rate or review us in iTunes. And remember, we talked about it in last episode, how to rate and review. So if you don't re- if you don't know, you can go back to episode 126 where we talk about it. And the other two resources I want to mention to you, you can get both of them by going to happiercast.com slash resources and looking at the show notes for this episode, episode 127. There you can sign up for my newsletter where every couple of weeks I send out a free newsletter that has links to Highlights from my blog, from Facebook, from the podcast, behind the scenes stuff. That's really fun. Um, sign up for the newsletter. Or if you would like to get an email every time we have a new episode of the podcast, if you're just somebody who likes to get stuff through email, you can sign up there to get a notification every time there's a new episode to listen to. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.